Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint, the public affairs show where we try to explain Vermont and the nation and understand our politics, culture, and democracy in ways we're still figuring out. I'm Kevin Ellis in the chair and at the mic, and welcome to everyone listening on the radio and online at WDEVradio.com and on the free DEV Radio app today. It's Wednesday, July 19th, and we continue to focus on the floods that have wrecked so many of our communities not just in central Vermont but around the state. Today the subject is what's next? Uh, What do the people do next? Homeowners, business owners, government, um, all of us. What do we do next? Do we donate? Do Do we pull off sheetrock? Do we strap on a tool belt? Do we call FEMA? Uh, how do we deal with climate change? Do we close our windows because of air pollution from the wildfires up north? We're going to focus on those issues uh, in earnest over the next few shows. We'll take on a lot of issues. Um, but first, we're going to get an update uh, on what's going on in Montpelier uh, from city manager Bill Fraser, who's on the line with us now. Welcome, Bill, to the show. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good. Thank you for so much for joining us. I know you're in a constant state of uh, anxious emergency, but can you please tell us what's what's on your plate for today and what, what happened, what's been happening? Well, <laughs> a lot's been happening, and I think you the, the question was great because I, I think every day we're so, we've been sort of like, what can we do today to, to get something you know, moving along. Yeah. Um, so we all know a week ago, uh, or, or a little over a week now, uh, downtown Montpelier was flooded, uh, you know, up to five feet with water. And, you know, the vast majority of our businesses were washed out or, you know, flooded out, um, as well as some residents. Uh, it's a huge disaster. We are taking steps. The first steps, of course, were just to try to clean up the, the mess and mud in the streets. Uh, businesses now are hoeing out their businesses, cleaning out. If you if you were to be in downtown Montpelier today or the last few days, you would see giant piles of debris in front of uh, you know along Main Street, State Street, Langdon, the, the core downtown of of just the the things that had to be thrown out that have been wrecked. Uh, we have been slowly removing some of that. Uh, fortunately, the state and FEMA have teamed up to uh, contract with a you know, a larger uh, contractor to remove that. That will be getting sometime late this afternoon. People will start seeing things moving uh, maybe a little quicker than they have been so we can start getting those piles out. We have closed a state, you know, the, the core downtown to traffic other than essential traffic. Uh, I have to say that that is, remains a problem. People seem to be ignoring the barricades and just driving through. That's really not safe. We have volunteers walking around. We have workers walking around, and uh, it's not a good thing. We are urging people who – first of all, we just can't say enough about the the outpouring of volunteers. We've had over 2,000 people sign up in the volunteer portal. Uh, they've really been just uh, wonderful. We urge everyone to wear protective equipment. The, the dust and mud that's left is full of crap, uh, toxic crap. Yep. And uh, so people should be very careful to protect themselves. Uh, 
but uh, the volunteer efforts just been absolutely amazing. I don't think any of the businesses or, you know, frankly, City Hall, we got washed out where, where our city government is just putting itself back together as well. And we had tons of volunteers helping us move things out, files, desks, you name it. So, yeah, it's been a huge community effort. Can't, uh, uh, you know, I could sort of be praising people all along. But I, sure. to, to go back to your first question, I think today, you know, we're really focused on trying to get the um, the trash removed. We're focused on uh, supporting the the main hub where people can go for for resources, make sure they've got what they need in, in terms of supplies and personnel. Um, you know, we we have not seen it yet, but sooner or later we expect the the volunteer effort to to die down because people have to go back to work or whatever. You know, they 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 can't sustain it forever. Right. Um, and so we're trying to transition into you know what what the sort of stable situation is going to be for the next few weeks. What does that look like? We've got city government mostly moved over to the senior center, uh, and that's going to be, you know, still need a few technical things, but that will be up and running by the end of this week. Our public safety is all put back together. So we're trying to get the services that people need in order, and I think each business, of course, is going to be a little bit different. Bill, with regard to the trash, uh, it is a, a, a striking sight out there. And I do get on the street the question of, you know, why is this, why hasn't this been removed? And I think one of the answers, at least from that I'm giving is, you know, in this internet age, we are all used to things happening so quickly. And this is not a kind of internet thing where you can push a button. This is, I mean, We've all been mucking out basements, and it is hard, slow work. Um, and I just, you know, so you've you've got a, a you've got a waste hauler that has been contracted with that's going to come in starting this afternoon. Is that right? Yeah. So um, you 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 couldn't have said it any better. I think people are certainly used to instant gratification. Right. And um, and the so we started. Hauling waste, we had uh, we, we talked to Casella. They put out some roll-off containers. We had um, you know folks with loaders basically at night picking up the trash and dumping them into those containers, right. and then they would take them away. That was slow going, but it you know it was the initial work. Eventually, uh, the state said, you know what, we're going to contract for this statewide. You're not the only city with this problem, um, and we will get someone who has the capacity to move this quicker and knows how to do it, knows how to be FEMA compliant. And, you know, the, the state is paying for this to be reimbursed, so that means the towns and cities don't have to put the cash up front, which is great. So, you know, that takes a little bit. They've got to contract with someone. They've got to get the FEMA clearances. There's you know, I think they're coming from out of state. They've got to get everything certified. Uh, so that takes a couple days. Yeah. And, you know, I think, yes, we want instant gratification. Remember, the flood was just last week. Um, yeah, and, know, we, it, and we it, tend to think also that Casella can just come in right. uh, to Montpelier and clean it up in, in a couple of days. And right. the truth is that there's towns up and down the state right. that have the same problem. Correct. So it's starting. Uh, like I said, we're expecting. And I, I will also add, not to not to get into inside baseball a little too much, but there's apparently we've learned a lot in the last couple of days. There's a big distinction with FEMA with regard to uh, residential. So residential debris, very much we cover it, we'll get it. Commercial debris is a different story. You know, they're sort of like, well, you know, they're businesses. So the city declared, you know, a public health and safety hazard. Um, because of the stuff in the road, that 
is opening the door. So I think they had to also get clearance to pick up the commercial debris, not only here but everywhere, because yeah. it's a that requires a special thing. So it's happening. We, you know, it's coming. We've been told that sometime late this afternoon. We don't know when uh, they will be. The first pass will be coming through. That's great. Yeah. Good. And uh, my next guest is going to be Dan Smith from the Vermont Community Foundation. Uh, there's, there is the, as far as donations, there is the Montpelier Alive uh, uh, sort of Vermont, uh, Montpelier Foundation Fund. Yep. And I know the Community Foundation's got a fund, and I know Patty Comline and others have set up another fund. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into all that but uh, later. But the time is now. Uh, people do need cash. A lot of the businesses have set up GoFundMe accounts, right? Right. So people, you know, the, the, the door is open for donations. Right. I mean, obviously, from the city's perspective, we would love to see people donating to what they're calling the Montpelier Strong uh, Fund, which is the one through uh, either MontpelierAlive.com or MontpelierFoundation.org. Uh, those are combined forces, uh, and that, the, they intend to be distributing cash to businesses as soon as, you know, this week or next, okay. and then just continue rolling that out as funds come in. But that said, I also know that many businesses have started their own campaigns, and if you're so inclined to support, you know, your favorite local business, be sure to check with them either on their website or, you know, if you can see them and find out if they have their own donation portal because um, some people prefer to do that. Some businesses are able to take uh, to sell, uh, you know, uh, gift certificates, which they can honor later, but it gives them some cash. Uh, so that's another possibility. And I'd also say that there are a handful of businesses that are open, uh, restaurants and things that are open, and, and some of them got hit, but they've managed to stay open. I don't have the list right in front of me, but I would certainly urge people to uh, support those. I know Buddy's Burgers on, on um, Berry Street got hit, but they're still open. Sarducci's had to close for a few days, but they're open. There's a bunch of others, and so I don't want to forget anybody, but sure. – Please support the local businesses uh, that are here because everyone needs it right now. Uh, Birch Grove, uh, there's a few. I, and, I know and, Montpelier Live has that list on their website. Okay, Bill, thank you. And anything else you need to get across to listeners? Is there yeah, anything else on uh, your actually, list? Actually, there is. Very important. Um, we sent out information about residential traffic, trash removal or debris removal, and it, it mentions separating the the trash, you know, the hazardous waste and those kind of things. We've got a lot of pushback saying, you know, these are toxic piles. We shouldn't go into them. And people are absolutely right. We're not asking anyone to separate a pile that already exists. We're asking them to separate anything new that they put out. Okay. Got it. Bill Fraser, City Manager, Montpelier. Thanks, as always, for joining us. My pleasure, Kevin. Anytime. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. Of course, we're talking about the flood, not just about Montpelier and the flood, but Barrie, Arlington, Londonderry, Johnson, Glover, Morrisville. Uh, we're talking about how this has affected everyone. And with our next guest, we're going to talk about how to get money into these communities so they can recover. Uh, I was here for the flood of 92. I was here for Irene. Um, and so is Dan Smith, the CEO of the Vermont Community Foundation. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Kevin. Sleep, um, sleep deprived? You know, um, there'll be time to get a rest uh, in, a, in, a, in a few weeks or months. Right. You know, the, the reality is uh, it's a busy time. 
so uh, a lot of people know about the Vermont Community Foundation. I'm not sure we all know exactly what it is that the Community Foundation, the foundation does every day. So why don't you give us the Community Foundation 101, and then we'll get into the fund that you've created to raise money to help the flood victims. Sure. Thank you for asking. So the Community Foundation was founded in 1986 to be a source of enduring philanthropy that supports Vermont communities. Our mission is to bring people and resources together to make a difference in Vermont. Uh, We work with philanthropic Vermont-focused families uh, to help them find and fund the causes they care about and the place they love. Um, A crisis like the one we're in is one of the reasons we exist. Um, So bringing people and resources together to make a difference comes into crystal clear view in a moment like we're in. And so um, uh, a week ago we launched uh, uh, the Vermont Flood Relief and Response Fund. Uh, The response has been incredible uh, in terms of people's interest and people's willingness to give both locally, businesses stepping up uh, from across the country. People uh, have seen Vermont and recognize what we're going through and have been responding to the crisis. So let's say that name of that fund again. The Vermont Flood Relief and Response Fund. Okay. Uh, if you go onto our website, www.vermontcf.org slash give to flood relief, it'll take you right there. And it's the top banner on the website. Um, in any given year, we're managing a lot of different funds and we're uh, making grants both from a community impact um, scope of work and focusing on systemic issues that we want to address and working with families to distribute resources from their charitable funds. But in a moment like this, all of that sort of goes on pause. does. Right? Um, <clears throat> and uh, we orient around the needs of the communities that we're trying to support in the crisis. Uh, by the way, our phones are open. If you have a question for Dan Smith or me, uh, the number is 802-244-1777. And um, we will take your call and uh, try to get a question answered. Um, I'm dialing up one just a bit. Sorry. Uh, we're rolling informally here still on the show. So Informally from you, Kevin. I'm so surprised. Right. I usually have all of this very tightly scripted, but uh, the flood has thrown us off our game. Uh, okay, can you tell us how much you've raised so far? Do you um, do, you do that? Uh, I'm happy to talk about it. You know, it's the kind of thing where you don't really set a target. You don't know yeah. what a response is going to be. You're just trying to be there. So when people are trying to answer the question, what can I do if I can't show up with a shovel, what can I do? Um, but we've raised north of $2.5 million, and I think by the end of the week we'll be close to $3 million. Uh, I'd like to call out some specific uh, donors and, and just recognize the National Life Group on, on Saturday, was last Saturday, was set to host their Do Good Fest, you know, a wonderful thing they do to yeah, support Central they took Vermont. took it online. And they pivoted it into a live stream and a benefit for the VCF Flood Relief Fund. That night, they raised almost 500 grand, and Moran Nasadi, the CEO of National Life, said if we get it to 500 grand, the National Life would match it. Um, and it took a, another couple of days, and we closed the gap to 500 grand. And National Life, uh, uh, the National Life Foundation, National Life Group have matched it. So a full million dollars going into flood relief, with a particular eye to um, the Central Vermont area and region, and, and uh, supporting families and businesses affected in in this region. Um, TD Bank 
And the TD Bank Foundation uh, came in through with $150,000 earlier this week, just a really incredible commitment. Don Baker picked up the phone you know, at the end of last week and said, what can we do? Uh, other folks coming in, you know, people who are connected to Vermont for the longest time, Kevin, you and I have talked about it. We've seen you know, young people who pursue their future, grow up, born in Vermont, grow up in Vermont, and they chase their careers elsewhere. They still hold the Vermont identity, and they're part of this place. A lot of those folks are picking up the phone or, or going on the line and, and giving into this fund right now because they see the need. Top billing, top banner on the New York Times website for a while last week. Yep. They know what's going on, and they're sending money back to their home state. It's incredible to see. And this fund covers the whole state, whereas I was just talking to Bill Frazier, the city manager at Montpelier. There's a fund for Montpelier-only stuff, That's uh, and there's a couple, actually, and a lot of the businesses are doing GoFundMe campaigns, Um, but this covers everywhere. It does. Um, You know, our job is to make sure that people... Places in the state are not, aren't left out, left behind. You know, the key thing we're trying to do with this fund and the commitment we make is to coordinate with federal, state, local resources to know, so we know where resources are going and who's doing what. You know, I announced on Monday morning when they launched the Vermont Strong Fund that we'll be using them and running some resources that we've raised through the Vermont Strong Fund in Montpelier. When we've got trusted local partners, we can move really quickly to rely on them to get resources out to those who need it. Uh, in other places, we got to work a, a little harder to build, you know, uh, to identify the local partner. The community action agencies are going to yeah. be really tricky. All giving makes a difference right now, whether it's yeah. a GoFundMe for Bear Pond Books. I heard reference when I was driving in this morning. You know, Bear Pond Books is, you know, the place I used to sit in a soft chair in the corner when I was a, you know, junior <laughs> high kid. Um, <clears throat> so did my kid. So did I. Yeah, you know, to choose your own adventures right there. Um <laughs> You know, all giving matters right now. Giving is one of the ways that we connect to each other as a community, and particularly giving in a time of crisis. So whether it's our fund, you know, touching every corner of the state, um, you know, working in coordination, whether it's a GoFundMe for a local business, whether it's a grassroots people coming together and you're just cooking a meal for emergency response folks, you know, all of that stuff, um, you know, we're knitting the fabric of community in this moment, and we got to make sure that people have what they need to get through it. Uh- and then how does the money then go out? How are you going to do that? It goes out uh, in, in the form of uh, grants to you know, organizations. You know, one of the things we've, uh, we've built up over time, because every year we're working on a particular philanthropic strategy, we're making grants, we, you know, we've worked with organizations in every corner of the state. We have staff members and team members in every corner of the state. We've got a network of trusted partners. So right now, this week, the first slate of grants uh, will be um, – uh, you know, checks will be cut this week and, you know, arrive Monday or Tuesday next week. And they're going to go to folks like Matea Pelier Strong, Capstone Community Action, some folks we've identified up in Johnson, in Barrie. Um, we're trying to touch um, as broad a reach as we can. And then as more resources come into the fund, we'll do that again and again. The first phase is really supporting the emergency response. We've got to make sure people have a place to live, they've got food, they've got that, and then there's some cash for small businesses to rely to, to reach through local organizations where they can, uh, they can get it from. And that's really the key is to get the money out the door. I, I made a snarky uh, tweet uh, last week saying uh, about this money saying these, these businesses need cash. They don't need a loan from FEMA. They need they need cash to make payroll. They need to pay the contractor to pay their lease payment, whatever. Uh, the the FEMA loan can come later, 
but they need cash out the door. Yeah, I mean, they're going to they're gonna be able to <clears throat> rent a pump for the basement. They're going to be able to pay a contractor ultimately. They gotta, there's stuff, um, the stuff that needs to get done in real time for, for businesses to get back on their feet and even just to stabilize and have a sense of hope about what they can do, um, yeah. uh, whether they're going to get through it. Um, and that's, you know, that's what partners like Montpelier Strong and partners in other corners of the state are going to be able to do um, with some of these resources. Okay. Let's go to Marsha and Barry. Marsha, I've only got about 30 seconds, so uh, give us your question. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. I'm wondering, this sounds, this is a different fund then from the one that Sue Minta started last week, which was the Vermont Main Street Flood Recovery Fund, or, or is this an incorporation of that? Marsha, great question. Sue's a close partner and a wonderful leader at Capstone. She's been all over this crisis. Um, uh, we we are working with the Main Street Disaster Relief Fund. Uh, their ability to make grants directly to businesses is a really important one, and their ability and their the geographic reach um, we're counting on from them is going to be really important. It's also Patty Comline from Downs Rackland Martin, uh, former legislator from Southern Vermont, really to, uh, to to be able to build connections and outreach into um, smaller affected areas and the businesses in those places. So we'll be working with them with a clear eye to the regional. Uh, regional work. We're also in communication with folks in your in your town, uh, Marsha, in Barry at the Barry Partnership, um, and you know with other folks through through Capstone as well. Um, so, you know, again, the key, the value of having a statewide fund is the ability to coordinate and make sure resources get into the places that are hard hit but hard to get to and hard, um, uh, and so they don't get left out if there's not a local local vehicle yet. Dan, you. Uh, remember flooding from Irene as well. How does this compare for you? You were not in this job at that time, as I recall. Uh, that's right, Kevin. I wasn't. I wasn't in this job. I was at the state colleges. Yeah. Um, so we were uh, pretty quickly during Irene mucking out Stanley Hall, which no longer stands in in Waterbury, where the chancellor's office was, and the, all of the uh, systems and servers for the Vermont State College system were located. Um, but my perspective, stepping back, I mean this. This feels it's a it's a dangerous comparison. Yeah, um, you know, right now this is a, just an incredibly devastating moment. I was walking down walking down State Street. Uh, most a lot of viewers are going to have seen everything I'm about to describe. But walking down State Street uh, on Monday morning, seeing that the, the seats from the Capitol Theater on the curb. Yeah, you know, I was you know I grew up in Middlesex. That was where my my first date was. Right. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's just something incredibly stark about what we're going through. Um, but the, the, the bright spot, if you can find one, is the degree to which Vermonters stepped up uh, are, and are stepping up, whether they're given through the fund or whether uh, they're, they're showing up and volunteer. I mean, there are thousands of volunteers, um, uh, thousands of you know donors and from all over the country uh, who have a connection to this place and care about what we're going through. Um, and if you know, there's so many things that pull us apart right now, Kevin, and tell us that we're not all part of the same exercise. And yeah. you know, this what we're seeing. What we're seeing is that we are in this together, um, and we got to hold that because it's you know it's not it's not going to be enough to be in it together this week, and we got to be in it together six months from now. We you know, be in it together a year from now. I wrote about this last week in my weekly blog post, and it's and uh, exactly this issue. You know, we're we're pulled apart by technology, by by politics, by by so many things in our revved up society, and yet 
I'm walking down the street, and there is Fred Beshera, the owner of the Capitol Theater, who just last Thursday closed on the sale of his hotel. And I said, and he's there in his muck boots. He's filthy dirty. And I said, wait a minute, you close? You don't have a you don't have skin in this game anymore. And he goes, what What do you mean? I live here, and I'm the only guy who knows where everything is. So, you know, it was just a great example of. Think about that quote, Kevin. I mean, just you know, hold on to that. What do you mean? I live here. Yeah. Right? There, there are a lot of Vermonters who are holding that right now, and a lot of people yeah. with a piece of Vermont in them across the country who are holding that too. Yeah. So, um, we we can't stay. I I, I have a bias towards Montpelier because that's where my sort of life is. But uh, Barry got hit really bad, especially the north end of town. Uh, Johnson got hammered. Uh, I was listening to. Something coming in about uh, the the Biden declaration, disaster declaration, did not cover Orleans and another county. And somebody up in Glover who lost their house is not covered by the disaster declaration, and they're just beside themselves. Uh, that may come later. You can add to the but but talk about talk also, about but you, you know you drive around this state a lot. Uh, it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere, and what you're speaking to is the need for coordination yeah. among public and private actors, right? Um, so that person in Glover, uh, there is actually a, a pot of resources that go back to Irene that was stood up as a fund of last resort for people who are who are affected but left out of the public programs. And so there'll be a point in this process when that fund, the Vermont Disaster Relief Fund, can get activated for those purposes. And I know the board of that fund that oversees that fund is already standing up how they're going to accept applications and uh, work with um, uh, work with the folks who are supporting the case management for federal uh, federal programs to to know who's left out but is a necessary beneficiary of uh, other resources. So um, there is some lessons from Irene that we were able to pull from and carry forward into this. And first and foremost, it's the degree of coordination. I was on the phone yesterday with the Secretary of Commerce and the Secretary of Ag. We haven't even talked about the farm impacts right now. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, the assets of a farm are in the ground uh, at this time of year, and, you know, a lot of them just went downstream. So um, the cash flow for farms is going to be a huge, uh, a huge challenge for farms to stay afloat um, in, the, in this moment. Yeah, uh, and Anson Tebbets, the secretary, is a friend of this radio station. Um, he was actually my boss here in uh, the summer of 1993 in the newsroom, and I was a, a cub reporter. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, Dan Smith, you've had a varied career. Um, you ran for mayor of, of Burlington, I remember, years ago. Uh, talk about Let's talk about the government piece. Um you know, Bill Fraser was just saying that they've moved all of city government of Montpelier to the senior center. You know, that's a lot. And 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 we just think that, you know, magically you're going to be able to call up city government and, and uh, you know, police are out straight, fire's out straight. They're all out straight. But how should government be thinking about this cleanup and then going forward? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Yeah. Um, I don't, uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather flock and talk about, um, you know, the, the, the emergency response, Kevin. I do think down the line, you know, we've been running programs in watershed management and planning, grant programs with uh, that were run by the High Meadows Fund, which was right. part of the VCF. 
for 10 years after Irene, working in sort of local local communities, inter, uh, between communities that had different watershed management practices to really stand up networks and um, yeah. watershed resilience strategies uh, uh, across the state. There's undoubtedly lessons, and I'm not going to be a hydrologist, but undoubtedly lessons we'll have to build into long-term planning around if we're going to see this every decade that we have to think about. Um, you know, I think we we have to look at the number of our designated downtowns that are actually in floodplains and understand what that means for where we just decided we're going to build a lot of houses yeah. um, and understand, you know, where we're asking people to live, uh, make sure it's safe and secure um, and resilient in the face of what appear to be more frequent events. Um, so those are all things we can get to, yeah. uh, you know, in the long term. Um, in the near term, we just got to make sure that you know, nobody's falling through the cracks. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. We're going to have to think about uh, you know when we were mucking out the basement of Bear Pond Books, all the city's Christmas decorations uh, were in there. I mean, maybe we should be uh, standing up a warehouse outside of town so all downtown uh, businesses can store their stuff extra inventory chairs and tables at, at, at a central location so that and that so that when the next flood comes the water can s- just sluice through an empty basement obviously the mechanicals can't be down there anymore um, you know we've got a lot a long way to go and I'll uh, uh, Bill McKibben was going to come on the show to talk about this but he had to <laughs> I'm a, I'm a substitute for Bill McKibben. You're a substitute you're, you're, for you're Bill McKibben. Way, way down the list. There you Kevin. go. <clears throat> well, he had to jet off to uh, Europe to do some organizing. But he, you know, I, we've got to talk about resilience uh, going forward. Once we get people taken care of, we're going to have to talk about uh, how we get our buildings and our lifestyle more resilient. Well, and, and, I mean, there's a, here's another example in the long term. Disaster recovery and logistics are a, are a thing you know, across yeah. the across the world. There are yeah. actually academic programs and uh, uh, and training uh, training programs for so people know how to uh, steward recoveries in a, in a responsible and effective and, and rapid way. You know, where, where uh, you have we how now have Vermont State University with both construction management, hydrology, and civic civil engineering, and public health, and all of those things. Should should we have one of those programs in this state in the long term, so we have a professional uh, uh, core of of emergent, I mean, of disaster response to go with the folks who are doing an incredible job right now yeah. uh, at, from, at a state and local level responding and support that. You know, there are a lot of ways we can things we can learn from this once we have the, the respite that's necessary to learn from it. Yeah. But right now, the Community Foundation anyway, we're trying to get dollars out the door as fast as we can to support small businesses, families, farms, and, and those who are taking care of their neighbors in crisis. Tell us what's going on literally inside the Community Foundation. You have a, a staff. <clears throat> they are in triage mode, I have no doubt. But what, what's really, what are you, how are you dealing with this every day? Um, <clears throat> You know the staff is the team has been incredible. It's uh, in terms of the, the pivot that they've made. This is a very different operation than we normally run in a day to day. But like I said, these are the moments for which we exist. We exist to bring resources to bear in Vermont communities to address a crisis. Uh, so our yeah our, our our team has shifted into digital fundraising, online fundraising for the fund, uh, bringing resources in through VermontCF.org/slash/give-to-flood-relief. Um, working with people who want to give creative ways, 
if you're over 70 and a half and you have an IRA and you're taking uh, taking distributions, mandatory distributions, you can roll them tax-free into the flood fund or, or uh, almost uh, any fund. Um, uh, you can <clears throat> move them into the flood fund and they can be a part of that so you don't have to take a tax on your IRA distribution. It's called a qualified charitable distribution. Um, and then on the other side of the house, our community impact team uh, is really working on getting the resources out, so touching base with local and uh, regional partners like Capstone Community Action, right. other community action agencies, knowing the support that they're providing, the case management for families who've lost their homes, uh, case management for uh, small businesses, um, the Main Street Disaster Relief Fund, work, working with them, knowing who's doing what, so how we know we can get the resources that are inbound out quickly and responsibly into Vermont communities. When are the dollars going to start to flow out of that fund? We're making our first round of grants as we speak, so the che- checks are being cut and should be uh, um, should be out and arriving, you know, Monday or Tuesday. The Vermont Flood Response and Recovery Fund 2023. Um, you can go to the Vermont Community Foundation website at vermontcf.org and learn all about it. And uh, what am I missing? What should uh, I be asking? You know, I, I think the, the important thing. We talk a lot, a lot right now about uh, the, this idea that progress is possible. And we get, you take a hit like this, you see this flood, you walk through any of the towns affected. I was in Jeffersonville yesterday morning. Um, any of the towns affected, it really, f- it feels like just another, uh, another big punch. And, yeah. uh, but I, it's really important, I think, for people to look at the, See the response from their neighbors, um, and under uh, and understand that we have your back and we're looking out for you, and and, and it's together that we're gonna we're gonna get through this. Yeah, uh, I want to go back to the IRA distributions, all that stuff. Sorry, that was a little wonky. No, no, then. actually, it's 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 effective because um, it's important because every dollar matters. And every contribution matters no matter who you give it to. And the ability of, of, of somebody who can, uh, you know, take money out of their IRA tax-free, et cetera, et cetera. So can you explain that again? Sure. Um, if you're over 70 and a half, and we have folks on staff because we're experts in giving, we can, can right. answer some of these questions. If you're over 70 and a half and you have an IRA that you've built up over time, you're required to begin taking distributions. Those distributions are taxable unless – you make an allocation of that distribution into a qualified charity, right? Yep. So you could do it for the Vermont, the Montpelier Strong Fund. Yep. You can do it to our Disaster Relief Fund. The only thing you can't do it is we manage a lot of donor-advised charitable funds. You can't yep. do it into a donor-advised fund. Uh, you can't do it into a supporting organization of which we have some, you know, the sort of subsidiaries of the VCF. But you can do it into a fund like this. Um, and so that's just one more way for people – uh, to be able to activate resources in support of their neighbors. Uh, and I, I offer that uh, be, because we're all looking for how, where, where and how we can give. And if you can't show up with a shovel and you can send a dollar, it's going to make a difference for your neighbor. No, that's right. That's exactly right. And as I said, every dollar matters. Dan Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on to the show and get some sleep like the rest of us. But um, we'll get through this. Yeah, we will. Kevin, I just want to say that on behalf of the donors and fund holders and uh, staff of the Vermont Community Foundation, for every affected community, our heart goes out to you, and uh, we're here for you. Okay. Dan Smith, 
CEO of the Vermont Community Foundation. If you want to donate to the Vermont Flood Response and Recovery Fund, go to vermontcf.org. There's a big button there. You just click on it. There's a big button up in the right-hand corner saying Give Now. Uh, and rest assured that your money uh, will be used wisely. These people know what they're doing. Uh, as we said with Patty Comline's fund last, last, last show, uh, this money's going right out the door. You're not paying for salaries. You're not paying for people's cars. Uh, you're not paying for lunches. This money is going to go right out the door to businesses, uh, farms, and people. All giving matters right now. Uh, so money out the door is, is, is what it's all about. Okay. We're going to take a break. I'm Kevin Ellis. Our thanks to Dan Smith at the Community Foundation. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're back on Vermont Viewpoint. Our thanks to Dan Smith at the Vermont Community Foundation who came into the uh, studio live. Uh, he's got a lot of history here. I forgot that he was a cub reporter here working for Anson Tebbets when he was the news director. Anson Tebbets now the agriculture secretary and uh, dealing with Lord knows what, and we'll uh, we'll get him to call in uh, or uh, come into the studio to update us on what's going on uh, with our farms. Um, as everybody knows, we're, we're going to just talk for the next uh, few minutes. Our phones are open at 244-1777. You can email me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Please give me a call. If you need a friendly voice on the other end of the line because you're uh, deep in your basement, Give me a call. Uh, I'm here. And uh, and one of the things we can do here at WDEV is be a kind of a nexus for uh, all, all kinds of questions. No, no question is a dumb question. Um, I think people, you know, walk in the streets of Montpelier for the last few days. It's, uh, it's amazing to watch uh, the look on the faces of these business owners who had just come out of covid uh, and, uh, and now, now this, and, uh, it's, it's, as we all, I think, agree, it's been very, very difficult. I had a, I had a really great conversation with John Mayfield, who is the, uh, owner of, uh, Julio's Cantina right there on State Street. And, uh, probably everybody in central, central Vermont has eaten there one time or another. Hell, I ate there when it was, uh, around the corner at the old MJ Fridays on, uh, on Main Street. Uh, and John, you know, I was prepared to be a cynic about, oh, we're not getting things cleaned up enough and we're not moving fast enough. And John kind of, you know, set me straight. He said, look, uh, we're doing okay here. Um, you know, yeah, sure. We could all use a million dollars, but, uh, he had, you know, he had fans going. He had his staff had, of cooks and servers had turned into a, a, a bunch of contractors and they were, they had torn out the sheetrock, uh, about four feet up from the, from the floor. They were getting ready to tear out the floors. His landlord, Steve Everett, walked by with a big bag of garbage, uh, Steve's known as, as a good landlord in, in Montpelier and they were uh, kidding each other about who's going to pay for what, but, uh, you know, they'll get down to brass tacks and figure that out. Um, and, uh, you know, John said, look, we'll, we'll be back. Uh, I, I, I don't know. There will be businesses that close. Uh, there are businesses in, in all of these communities that just do not have the resources. They don't have, 
the money or the expertise or the, or the youth. You know, if you're 65 and you've been running your business for 20 years, John told me, he says, I'm 69. Uh, and you know, I, he's, he says, I don't have it in me anymore. He says, we'll be back. We're going to do this. Um, but it's, you know, as you get older, it's, it's, uh, it gets harder and harder. Um, but he was optimistic. And I know Julia over at, uh, Capital Grounds, where I spend a fair amount of time. She's optimistic. Uh, the folks at Bear Pond, they're coming back. Um, they've already arranged for the new flooring to come in. Uh, but the key thing is they got to get this thing dried out. They got to get the basement dried out. Um, and by the way, regarding donations, uh, it, it, on our podcast, uh, if you go to the WDEV website, uh, the, the link to be able to donate to these funds is in our, after the show, uh, will be in the program description of today's show. Um, a reminder that uh, it, it was President Biden last Friday that uh, declared uh, several of ca- the counties, I think it's five, uh, a disaster, a federal disaster zone. That means that, uh, that, 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 that frees up money uh, to pay to reimburse the state and 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 businesses for a lot of these expenses. Um, and Biden yesterday authorized the federal government to pay for all of. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to use the well. It says certain costs incurred by state and local governments in response to the flooding. So he amended the disaster declaration that he had previously issued directing the federal government to pay for 100% of the state's, quote, emergency protective measures up from 70%. And that's according to the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Uh, that's good news. So for the next 30 days, we're going to, everything's going to be reimbursed by the federal government as it should be. Okay, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back uh, with another guest to talk about uh, flooding. Uh, it's not all going to be bad news. There's lots of inspiration out there. So uh, I'm Kevin Ellis. Uh, you're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We'll be right back. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. We take your calls at 244-1777. You know, if you walk uh, down Main Street in Montpelier uh, and you get, you come down past the hardware store and you pass... Uh, my favorite movie theater, uh, the Savoy, and you get past the drawing board, the art supply store. There's a little tent city that has sprung up, um, and it's uh, sponsored by Montpelier Alive, and it's there that you can get uh, food, uh, bleach, uh, and uh, wipes, uh, a friendly face, uh, a bottle of water, uh, and Montpelier Alive made all of this happen. Uh, most of that product is donated. Uh, and one of the key volunteers is our next guest. His name is Peter Walk. Um, he is not just a volunteer with Montpelier Alive, but uh, 
He was, he is a former deputy uh, secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources for this state. He did a similar job in, in New York state. Uh, he is a former uh, naval intelligence officer and he is familiar with scenes like this. Hey, welcome to the show. Kevin, thanks for having me. So, uh, I walked, I, I got to the Montpelier Alive little hub there and everybody said, uh, that you were the, uh, volunteer uh, champion uh, that I should go talk to. I know you're going to deflect any credit for what you did, but tell us your experience and why you came to volunteer in Montpelier. Uh, I, yeah, I will deflect all of that credit because, uh, you know, we just created a platform to harness the, to sort of just enable the energy that people wanted to bring to bear in terms of helping their friends and neighbors clean up. Um, and have, we've, uh, done our best to help support the other communities impacted around the state to share some of our knowledge and resources and, and supplies. Um, each community is, uh, experiencing a different version of this storm. Uh, roads washed out, uh, homes washed out, uh, flooding of downtowns, businesses and, 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 and residences destroyed. It's a little bit uh, mudslides now, right? The uh, the experience is different everywhere, and it's really difficult to manage um, because it is such a different experience, community to community. I think there are over a hundred communities in the state right now that have been affected. So um, we put together what we could to make uh, to give people the opportunity to do what they wanted to do, which was to show up and help and and your experience you have experience in this in, in emergency management from your days uh, in the navy can you talk a little bit about that about the different kinds of disasters that you've seen and how it varies uh community by community or country to country sure i, I mean I, I didn't actually most of my emergency responses come in my time in working in state government, both in Vermont and in New York. Um, I, I joined the New York state government right after the aftermath of Sandy and helped uh, continue those recovery efforts. Uh, we had flooding and, and giant snowstorms in western New York that uh, were causing challenges and needed to deploy resources to support. Uh, I helped to uh, you know, respond to PFAS uh, discoveries in Hoosick Falls and in Bennington, Vermont, and elsewhere around the, the state and region. Uh, it's been it, it, the thing to the thing that everybody um, that 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 governments governments are really good at providing orderly response in time. The crisis response is challenging um, because to the individuals involved, the individuals impacted, it is literally the worst day of their life. Right. And so they need a level of a care and attention uh, that goes beyond above and beyond. And it's also important to have the systems in place to make sure that, that, that all of the needs are being met and not um, simply, you know, the, the folks who are able to make contact. So that's, it's an ongoing and very challenging process. Um, but a, a, a really important one. And I think the sensitivity to what the individual is experiencing and the support and that smiling face that you talked about uh, and just 
going around and asking what help do you need. We've, you know, I was grateful that we had the capacity to, uh, to send bottles of water around to people in the middle of the day when it was getting hot to, you know, just bring cases around and just ask at every store and every home that we drove by, would you like a case of water? Right. Cause while the boil water notice is done in Montpelier, there's lots of folks who still don't have access, uh, to their water shut off for various reasons. Um, and, uh, it's just impossible at this point to, uh, to, you know, to, to use and, or they don't have power or whatever the situation is. Um, and so bringing food around, letting folks know that we have food available, um, it's been an amazing ability to sort of reach out and, and bring that experience to uh, the people impacted. Can you, uh, can you talk to us? You know, the news has been so bad and I, I, you look at on the faces of these store owners and homeowners who've lost so much there. It, there's a, there's a, there's a, a time period where, you can't make rational decisions. You know, people are coming up to you and saying, are you going to rebuild? Are you going to reopen? Uh, I mean, just the idea of, you know, do I replace the floor or do I, you know, what do I do next? And I'm, I'm trying to focus the next few shows here on what is next for everybody? What do they do? It's almost like everyone needs a punch card with a five step checklist for how to respond. You gotta dry out the basement. You gotta get it cleaned out. You gotta get it dried out. Then you gotta get a contractor on site. Then you've gotta start making some decisions. Um, what, what is that checklist that people, once their mind clears and they can start to think rationally, what is that checklist? Sure. Um, so, uh, so I, there, you know, I think it's, there's a lot of information out there right now. And a lot of it is good and a lot of it is, you know, being, going through a game of telephone. And so getting that clear information, having those clear, important, reliable information sources is really important. Um, that is a process that will continue to build and the infrastructure to support those individual questions will continue to build with FEMA, with state, with, with local and volunteer resources. Um, it, it takes it takes time, unfortunately, to make sure that the right information is out there because it is specific to the uh, to the disaster at hand. Um, my my ask to your listeners, yeah. uh, many of whom will not have been directly impacted, is you get to speak with your backs and your budgets. You get to tell the members of your community impacted by flooding. You get to tell the businesses that were impacted whether or not you want them to be part of the, your community moving forward. You get to do that by uh, donating to funds like Montpelier Alive's got a great partnership with the Montpelier Foundation, but we're not, that's not the only instance um, of opportunities to donate to these larger funds that are helping to put money in people's pockets. Um, the, the individual businesses are having uh, GoFundMe campaigns. Uh, there are, Stores that are open now in these com- in communities that need your support, right? Go and and buy dinner um, from these locations that are open, but not you know doing but struggling to to maintain their footing. Be and then show up. Find out how you can volunteer, how you can do your part. Many folks can't 
lift heavy objects out of basements, but there are going to be other needs along the way. And so if you're ready and can help be part of the organization that, that leads to activity, will be a better state and a stronger community for it because those, because the residents and businesses that are impacted will hear that loud and clear. This community wants me. This community will support me. They will continue to exist. Um, a lot, you know, and, and right now that's, that's, that's a really hard conversation mentally for them to have, right? Do I, do I make the effort to come back? So we have the ability to, to, to make that support happen. Can you put on your uh, environmental uh, government official hat for a second and uh, talk to us about climate? Uh, this is this is going to happen again. Uh, I, I don't know where the far far right of the Republican Party goes here politically in terms of the denial of climate change, but you know. We that argument seems to be over, and these storms are going to come. Uh, what what is Julie Moore, your old boss at the Agency of Natural Resources, talking about in her staff meetings, and what's the governor talking about in his cabinet meetings about this particular subject? You know, should we be building housing in in these downtowns now? Uh, these storms are going to come, so how do we adapt? How do we get re- more resilient? So those conversations are happening all the time. The right. challenge is that they get no attention until we have a disaster. Right. Uh, it's in the climate change discussion. There is mitigation and then adaptation. Right. Mitigation is dealing with the greenhouse gas emissions that we know we need to reduce to slow the severity or the buildup of the severity of these storms and other climate-related activities. The, re- the adaptation side is how do we build back in a way that is more resilient over the course of time? How do we make sure that our natural systems can support uh, the influx of water, right? Many of uh, the things about reestablishing natural floodplains are huge components of whether or not we can survive these things moving forward. Those conversations have to happen in parallel. They have to happen at the same time. We have to be making investments in both because regardless of whether we reduce our emissions down to zero globally, we are where we are in terms of the climate. So we must, we must be able to be a more resilient society if we expect our communities to survive. Yeah. Uh- Peter, before we let you go and you're kind to join us, uh, I know you're, you like everybody else must be exhausted. Um, we need some inspiration. So you were, you were volunteering throughout Montpelier for the last week. Give us, give us a, a positive story. Give us something. I, I watching Alec, the, uh, head of the, uh, parks department at, uh, Mont, the city of Montpelier behind his laptop, you know, Making assignments and managing things—that that, I found that to be incredibly inspirational. But what'd you take away personally from your volunteer experience? Uh, I'll tell you a brief anecdote because I think it it says a lot about the community. So Alec Ellsworth, the parks director, as you mentioned, has been was sort of my partner in crime through all of this, and he's continuing to take on that leadership role. I'm going to support as well as I can from afar. Um, but what what he and his team have done is nothing short of incredible. None of 
the volunteer logistics would have been possible without a key group, and that's the Montpelier Youth Conservation Corps. Right. Those, um, those it's a group of uh, paid staff, uh, AmeriCorps volunteers, and teenagers who every day have showed up, worked long, long days, both doing direct support to those in need, delivering supplies to where they're needed, organizing and staffing the different tents that we had set up in our little tent encampment and making sure that people were taken care of. Without that group, none of it would have been possible. And I, you know, I, my moment of inspiration was, you know, the day, so yesterday was sort of my last full-time day on site for the time being. Uh, the day before I had asked, uh, they all run around. You'll see them in their orange, uh, kind of maroon and green t-shirts. They are, you know, those are the sort of different levels of, of, you know, staff and leaders and, um, and members of the core. And I asked them for a t-shirt. I asked them for a green t-shirt, which is the lowest level member, but they adopt me as a, as a, as a red shirted member, which is the next year up. But, um, and that, that gives me hope for the future because the leadership skills and the resilience that they uh, are learning in this process is going to pay such dividends for us as a, as a society moving forward. And I can't say enough how grateful I am for their help. Well, and we're grateful to you uh, for your volunteerism and coming on the show. So uh, thank you. Uh, I'm going to, after you, after we let you go, I'm going to, I've, I'm on the Montpelier Alive page. I'll go through it uh, for listeners where they can donate, where they can volunteer. So, Peter Walk, thank you so much. We'll see you on the street. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Okay, Peter Walk. Uh, he's a he's a Swiss Army knife kind of guy. He was the Deputy Secretary of Natural Resources. He did a similar job over in New York. Um, he uh, now works for Efficiency Vermont in in uh, Burlington, helping to get the money out the door to make people's homes and businesses more energy efficient. Uh, but he spent the last week, took a whole week off of work and just uh, volunteered. He was in the Navy and uh, I believe he was in Iraq. Uh, and he um, he's done a lot of stuff in, in these areas. We're back, and we're going to do a quick visit with Alyssa Johnson. She is the she's a member of the select board in Waterbury, and uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Montpelier, but uh, we've we've got so many other communities uh, affected here. Alyssa Johnson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, tell us, how's Waterbury doing? Well, I would say we're certainly impacted, but we're recovering, and that's in large part thanks to the enormous volunteer response we've had to really help out those residents who were hit and try and get them back on their feet as soon as possible. And and are you like, uh, I mean, our studio, I'm I'm right here in Waterbury right now, and and you're right, it, it seems that Waterbury really learned lessons from Irene in terms of how to come back and get more resilient. Uh, do you see signs of that? Absolutely. I think that's a conversation we're having across the community. It's both those really tangible infrastructure improvements, so, you know, physically helping buildings be stronger, having space for floodwaters to go, 
but it's also something we're seeing in things like our volunteer infrastructure. The fact that, you know, Waterbury had hard-learned lessons from Irene and so had a playbook to look at in terms of, you know, things like providing dumpsters as soon as possible, knowing that we had a community that really wanted to volunteer and reach out, and we just needed to create the mechanism to do that. You know, we had 200 folks sign up to volunteer in the first two hours we put out the call. And so uh, knowing that enabled us to respond even faster, and I think we're working on using that knowledge here in town and then also sharing that with other communities across the state. Alyssa, how can people help um, in the form of money, in terms of volunteer, volunteerism? I mean, there are people still affected in Waterbury. So where do people go to help? Absolutely. Well, thank you for saying that. And we keep saying, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, we've had that overwhelming response. We're working to address those really imminent needs. But this is going to be a really long-term process, um, particularly as folks are also dealing with, you know, the paperwork and kind of the back-end stuff. Um, the first thing I would say before people are volunteering to help is if you need help, please let us know. We are working to make those matches to know that we have volunteers who will help you, but we don't know if you need help. Um, we have a phone number, 802 585-1152. If you are in Waterbury, that will bring you to a voicemail. Leave a message, let us know who you are, what type of help you need, how you're doing, and we'll work to get volunteers out to you. Same thing, there's an email, waterburyhelp, H-E-L-P, at gmail.com, um, both for those who want to volunteer um, and also for our helpers. We have an online sign-up form from our municipal home page waterburydp.com um, so people can sign up to be on the volunteer list. Um, we appreciate all our volunteers being really flexible and understanding, you know, we're doing those check-in follow-ups with homeowners and saying, what do you need today? Okay, I need, you know, five people to help with the basement. Um, so their flexibility as we then say, okay, you know, what five folks can help and get them out to, to help those folks. So please both share those needs if you have them, but for volunteers, um, doing that type of work is really important um, and just continuing to, to be on the list. You may not be able to help today, but know that we're going to have needs for a long time. Um, and so just getting on that email list is really important. Um, right now in Waterbury, the Good Neighbor Fund, which has existed for many years, is helping ho folks with short-term immediate needs in terms of housing, food, shelter, things like that. So that's a place where donations can be directed. And we're also working on standing up a more long-term flood recovery donation fund. Wow, that is a lot. Uh, and, and just imagine this is going on in so many communities. But, uh, you know, I, I, I guess if you, you know, if you get confused about how to help, uh, Call up, you know, call your town office. <laughs> Walk into the public library. Uh, I, I like to park out at the Waterbury Public Library to charge my car. And uh, what a great, what a great facility that is. And uh, yeah, you, you, Waterbury's done so much to recover from Irene and, and is so much more resilient than it was. Uh, it's a real testament to everybody here. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Yes, I think the community response has been really overwhelming, and it's just been amazing to witness and be a part of that. And then, again, also hopefully share the love, you know, not just within Waterbury, but beyond our borders. But 
yes, like you said, go to your nearest town office, come visit us in Waterbury. We're really trying to do that matchmaking. We've been essentially camped out at our municipal offices at 28 North Main Street uh, pretty much all day, every day. Uh, but again, going to your town clerk, um, letting folks know, you know, we had folks out in Middlesex this morning. So we are really trying to work to make sure that those with needs are, are getting support however we can offer it. Okay. Alyssa Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. I'm back. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're talking about the flood. And I wrote in a blog post uh, last week, which you can find at my website, kevinkellis.com. Click on the commentary button. You'll see it. Um, I wrote that there, there, there's almost nothing more comforting than standing in the middle of a flood-soaked business or home than a skilled, certified contractor to show up. Um, it happened to me when we had the five-day power outage at Christmas and we lost our furnace. It froze up, pipes burst. Uh, and um, I'll tell you, it, when you don't know what to do next, to have a skilled contractor on site looking you in the face, advising you on good decisions. And we all know there's a shortage of those kind of people around, and the flood uh, makes things even worse. And so we're going to talk about that right now with the – owner of Lloyd Home Service, Peter Lloyd. Welcome to the show. Do we have him? Peter Lloyd, we got you. Yes, sir. How hey. you doing? Hey, how are you? Doing good. Thank you. So uh, how has the let's, – let's start at the beginning. Um, you, you run uh, a, a, an electrical and plumbing and heating uh, business out of Cabot. Uh, con, uh, conflict of interest and disclosure here um, – You've been at my house a lot since last Christmas. <laughs> uh, it's never a good thing. Yeah. Um, how 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 are you seeing the flood from your perch? Uh, you know, what does this do into your business? Yeah. So we uh, we offer you know primarily a residential service replacement uh, installation for homeowners in the area. Here we do uh, full service plumbing, HVAC, and electrical work, and uh, so this time. Unlike Irene that came through before, it kind of missed our area. We actually are based out of Cabot Marshfield here, right where the short of the eye of the storm was this past week. Um, and so it was pretty, pretty interesting. We were right in the, right in the middle of it where it kind of, uh, affected our business in a lot of ways and we're trying to help the community as much as we can here. So, um, what's, what we found here was it's, it's definitely a pretty disastrous, amazing what water can do. We experienced it firsthand. Um, we, we heard the, the news coming in on Monday evening of this last week there, and we actually let some of our employees go home early because they weren't going to make it home in certain areas around us because there were a lot of local employees in Hardwick and the areas that were affected. So we kind of tried to get our guys home to safety, uh, life safety most important to us, early on, on uh, basically Monday evening. And then from there, it continued to, to rage and wreck a lot of roads and close things down. And then as a company, we actually had to stay closed Tuesday as well to, to make sure everybody was safe because there was no roads open. So we were kind of landlocked here where our shop is um, in Cabot, and a lot of guys couldn't even get to work. So we, we were closed Tuesday, unfortunately, not able to help people. But then we were able to get back opened up on Wednesday, and the calls started rolling in because we basically do all the services that people need addressed once the flood waters recited. We pump out some basements. We... We install new electrical work, new panels as needed, new breakers. We 
assess those. We also take care of heating systems and hot water heaters, um, so all of the above. And so what was nice there was we were able to team up and make sure it was safe and be out helping our community as of Tuesday last week and really help to start addressing some of those issues and concerns as we are still right now. So, um, you, it's, it's, <laughs> okay. I want to get to this issue, uh, cause you're, you're in this field, you're an expert at it. Uh, when a disaster strikes a community, I've noticed in downtown Montpelier where I spend most of my time, um, the, the, the town is now flooded with, uh, folks from out of state, uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, I can't think of the name of the truck that, but they're all over town. Uh, and there's a lot of folks that kind of travel from disaster to disaster. Uh, yep. and I, I think it, it behooves business owners to be careful, uh, who they sign up with right off the bat because there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of insurance money floating around here and you don't want to get taken by an out of state contractor that just comes in. And yep. gets as much money as they possibly can. Can you talk about that a little? Sure. Yeah. So, like, we always recommend to people to do due diligence online to see what companies have for reviews as far as their company goes, as well as Better Business Bureau is a rating site to rate business for consumers to make sure they're legit and they're not trying to take advantage of the situation. Um, and so we we try to do our best to to offer that great service to our clientele and we don't like just raise prices due to national disaster. Our prices stay the same and we try to help many people as we can. You know, our, our company model is taking care of you, our customers and our, our team and all that. And so what we find is, yeah, you're going to find a range of prices reflected when these kind of things happen or somebody will come in and, and potentially be a little bit shady, either charge way too much or try to get signed up on the job and take it over for you, customer a chance to pick the best option for their home and for taking care of the situation. And so we're just trying to be a service to people. We try to give what's nice about our company is we're able to give all of our pricing up front and the customer can can look at it, can get other quotes if need be, and, and then we can help them or they can decide what's best for their situation. There's no pressure in terms of trying to oversell something, but just we're there to help them and be a resource. And once they sign up with us and then get on our schedule, and it's, it is busy, but we're able to prioritize things. So, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to look up online contractors, make sure they're highly rated, make sure they're reviewed well, make sure they're they're offering good customer service to people because a lot of people coming in just for the money side of it, and that would be unfortunate to see people suffer from that. And we definitely have seen that in our biz field before. Of Unfortunately, sometimes the cheapest contractors aren't always the best either because you get what you pay for, but we do find that finding the right person for a situation is important to, to take care of the homes and not rush into it too fast, any decision-making that happens when these things kind of happen. So if you're a homeowner, uh, a lot of the – I'm going to focus – we focus this show and we're going to focus the next show on what's next for people. Uh, if, you're, if, yep. you're, if your basement is flooded right now uh, and you're a homeowner in Cabot or Marshfield, anywhere in central Vermont, what, what's next for you? You know, how do you, what's the, what are the five things that you should be focused on, uh, from here for the next month or so? How, you know, how do you think about that? Yeah. So we're, we're encouraging, we do deal with this quite a lot. You know, the advantage of, of that would be that, you know, a company like ours can take care of a lot of them for you. But, um, the goal is when it's a homeowner, you got a flooded basement. The first thing is to figure out a way to get the water out of there. What's nice is there's a lot of volunteers going around and a lot of people helping out. So, 
there's we don't like pump out like full basements. We help people remove some water if it's just a foot or so in the basement to help get it down to a decent level because we want to work in it with no water in it. But we'd recommend the fire companies are helping out. There was co- other companies, um, the pumping companies that come and pump your basement up. It's completely full. Get the water out of there for you. And then once that's the first step, really, is to get a hold of somebody that can help you get all the water to the basement. And then you get a contractor in that's licensed like us to do to take a assess situation, look at, you know, first and foremost, your electrical system is probably most important because in order to turn your power back on from the power company, they had to turn a lot of houses off due to the flooding. You have to have it looked at by a licensed electrician and sign off on a form saying whether or not this system is able to be turned back on safely. The power company is not going to turn power back on to a lot of places until they have that form filled out and signed off on to say, yes, your power can be turned on safely or the wet, components, the breakers, those kinds of things we're taking care of. Uh, manufacturer recommendations as well as just flooding safety is to really replace as much as you're able to of your panel system if it was a submerged as well as like electricity that was submerged in water to make sure it's safe so you don't have water electricity mixing and sparking and all those safety things you're concerned with. So that's your first step. Without power, you really can't do anything else. And so we're, we're giving companies, you know, the – them you know, looking at those things, assessing it, and they can get all their insurance company right away as well as our first step. Second step is electricity, making sure that's safe or figuring out ways to give them a price to take care of that, getting all the insurance company. The next step is they have us in there also to do a assessment and consultation on the water heater. Um, obviously, that's the second most important thing for most people is having water and having hot water to, again, take showers again. And if those were submerged, which they were in a lot of cases, to assess that as well. A lot of cases, unfortunately, it is the same thing. Really recommend replacing it completely. If you can't, we'll try to component something to be replaced to make sure it's going to operate safely going forward for customers, um, those parts of it. And then the third thing is obviously their heating or cooling system, if they have that in the place. If those were submerged, a lot of times that also requires generally replacement quotes given to them to do that work for them um, as well. And so that would be the next step, I feel like, from our side of it. Is those is basically get a hold of your insurance company first, electrical assessment, plumbing, uh, plumbing assessment slash water heater, and then it would be the heating system next to make sure you have hot, running water, hot water, cold water, and cooling cooling systems in place. And then from there, you know, obviously we're just trying to, trying to prioritize the biggest emergencies for our customers to take care of those things first and foremost to get them at least hot water for now, maybe get the heating system replaced before winter so that they have proper heating come come fall. So that's how that's how we're approaching it from our side of things. Okay, uh, and what about that shortage um, of of contractors out there? Uh, it's it was it was acute before the flood. I assume that it's uh, it's worse now. It really is. Yeah, we we are extremely busy. I think I was asking my call center person here. We have a call center answers phones in house that helps us, at, you know, do it live for people help help answer, help respond to these things. And I think we've gotten about seventy five calls in a few days after the flood to deal with. And so we're just trying to prioritize most important customers that have no hot water, no heats first. So we actually had to, you know, bump some non emergency calls off our schedule and put them back on once we get caught up on this flood to really help people out. Um, and it's really, yeah, it is staggering. Like we really try to. You know, our, our model is taking care of our customers, and and that's really been our goal. We can we try to do what we can and prioritize, but we're obviously backed up as well, and just trying to respond as best we can to people honest on a schedule dates as far as stuff goes. We're usually a couple of months out, and we're usually we're closer, but by three or four months out now. But we're prioritizing 
no hot water calls first, no electricity calls, trying to deal with those first and foremost, and then get back on the regular schedule of people um, to help them out. But it is hard. Like, there's a lot of people out there that still are without heat or hot water, and we're just trying to get them on the schedule and prioritize them, help them out as best we can. Right. The other cool thing that we're helping out with, too, is in our community here in Cabot, we actually are helping them replace sewer lines, sewer mains that were ripped apart by the flood downtown um, in both, like, the hardware store location which is the den, and then yeah. also um, over by the ball field, we're actually replacing eight inch sewer main there for them, helping out with that. So we're spreading ourselves a little bit thin, working some extra hours. Our team stepped up in a big way. We've got a bunch of great guys that are willing to put in and help people. do some extra emergency calls in the weekend to really help people as best we can to prioritize it. But we know we can only do what we can. We can't burn out either before the race is over, and we're just trying to be consistent and communicate with people and help them and really – do what we can to help the community. And I think everybody else is, that I know of in the trades is doing the same thing. There's a bunch of great guys out there besides our company that are doing a great job out there, contractors of plumbing, heating, and just working some extra hours and being willing to help each other. And the volunteerism has been great, too. Everybody's helping get things done. It's, it's making good progress everywhere that I can see because of that. So, it's uh, <laughs> I was I was standing in the middle of Bear Pond Books, and the, the, the landlord, Tim Heaney, uh, his, his contractor was already there ordering the uh, – floorboards the new flooring i mean it was just wow it's amazing what people are doing so it's just and it's yeah it's just inspiring to hear all the stories and i think it's important for us all to talk about it so is the den in cabot uh which is a place that i don't get to enough is it open it is yep i think they'll be able to remain open for now um they're this by this our goal is by end of this week to really have like a lot of downtown fixed up so we're working closely with the emergency manager there and the fire chief's assistant emergency manager and the commission commissioner cabinet there. And so it's, it's really, it's amazing. Everybody's helping out, chiming in. We're all working together. A bunch of contractors excavating also big, big shout out to them. They're helping the town of cabinet. I think their response has been phenomenal in this area in Marshall cabinet to get roads back up and running by using contractors and people just been willing to step up and help there. Our road was actually washed out where I live up in cabinet as well. And uh, that response was just got the road open back up on the other side of our house uh, this week. But before that, we had a back way to get around. And uh, I just thought it was, it's been, been amazing for to have that much progress done just a week after the flood happened here. I think it's been phenomenal with everybody helping out. So Okay. Peter Lloyd, uh, thank you so much for joining us. He Peter uh, runs Lloyd Home Service. Uh, they do your electrical, their HVAC, your plumbing. And uh, you can find them at callloyd.com. And, uh, Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Be safe out there. Yeah, one more quick thing. I am looking for more people, as did you mentioned, with ah. shortage. So if anybody's looking for a job, I want to put a quick plug in for that. You can apply on our website. We are in need of a lot more technicians, apprentices, different people. We train invest in people. So since I'm on the radio, I figured I'd mention that. If anybody's looking for a job, come apply. We do need more help, especially in this time, to help people out in the club. So. I would appreciate that. Well, if you're like me, you'll eventually get a call from Stephanie who will uh, <laughs> schedule your appointment or uh, and follow up and let you know when a truck is on your way. So, uh, yeah. That's uh, right. Everyone's looking for people. Awesome. Okay, Peter Lloyd. Great. Thank, well, thank thanks you a lot. Us on. I appreciate it. Okay, take care. That's Peter Lloyd from Lloyd's Home Service uh, talking about contractors and what's available, what's not available, and what's next for homeowners and businesses, what you should and should not be doing. Uh, just, just make sure you get some expert advice. Don't do it yourself. We're back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we're talking, as always, 
uh, for the next few shows about the flooding that has uh, deeply affected our communities. We're focused today on what's next. We're going to do that on Friday as well. I know Jake Hemrick, the mayor of Barry, is going to come on. Um, and we've got an ever-evolving lineup of guests. We, we we try to take it somewhat on a rolling basis these days just because, uh, you know, the, the new issues pop up all the time. And uh, we want to address as many of them as we can for you. And we want to take your calls. I'm... Uh, I've got two minutes here. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the, the funding opportunities. So uh, you, you heard from Dan Smith. You can go to the Vermont Community Foundation uh, page at vermontcf.org and donate to the Vermont Flood Response and Recovery Fund. Okay? That is for all of Vermont. That's every town. If you care about Montpelier, You can go to the Montpelier Alive page at MontpelierAlive.com, and they, in concert with the Montpelier Foundation, are taking money, and they are sending it out immediately. Both uh, the Community Foundation and and, uh, Montpelier Alive are sending out checks as we speak uh, to homeowners and businesses. Uh, So go to uh, MontpelierAlive.com to look at that. Uh, and there is, of course, uh, the fund that my friend Patty Comline has set up. It's called VT Recovery 2023. That's the Vermont Main Street Flood Recovery Fund. That covers all of small businesses for Vermont. So those are three. If you have a business that you especially are, oh, you know, I, 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 I forgot to talk about the Barry Fund. Hold on one sec. Uh, there is a Barry Fund. It's called the Barry Community Fund, and you can donate to that. It's called the Barry Community Relief Fund, and it's just been set up, and you can donate to that as well uh, by Venmo or PayPal. Um, and I suspect if you walk into City Hall in Barry, they'll take your check as well. If you have uh, a desire to donate directly to a business, um, uh, uh, in downtown Barry, downtown Montpelier, downtown Waterbury, or wherever you're hearing my voice, Cabot, Marshfield, Plainfield. Um, many of the businesses have set up GoFundMe campaigns. Uh, and you know what? You can also just do it the old-fashioned way. You can walk in there and give them a check. Uh, yeah, it's not deductible, but they're going to appreciate it. Uh, and there's a long way to go here. And some people get tired of hearing about it, but uh, we've got to be a place where on this show where we can get good information in, put good information out, and alert people to how they can help. And as Peter Walk said earlier, if you cannot pick up a shovel uh, and muck out a basement, there are plenty of other ways in which you can help. That is our show for today. If you want to be a guest on the show or send a suggestion for a topic, drop me a line. The show becomes a podcast at WDEVradio.com. And, of course, you can listen to the show online and on the radio. I'm here Wednesdays and Fridays. You can also find me at KevinKEllis.com, where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. My podcast, Conflict of Interest, examines the issues we deal with on the show. I'll be back Friday. As I said, uh, my guest is going to – one guest is going to be – Jake Hemrick, the mayor of Barry, uh, and between now and then, I will be uh, 
creating a deeper roster of other guests to get us the good information that we need. As always, we'll talk politics in Vermont and the nation, my garden, which survived, by the way. Uh, my basement is not dry, but the sump pump survived and uh, there's no standing water in it. Uh, and we'll talk about everything else on my mind and yours. Our show is produced by me, engineered and made possible by Danny McGivergan and all the folks at WDEV. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll see you right back here Friday on Vermont Viewpoint, live radio on the friendly pioneer, WDEV.